Now that true crime has become an obsessively popular genre, it is no surprise that when people find out we are forensic scientists, we are met with an outpouring of questions. Did you worry that recent homicide? Yo, what does decomp smell like? You must love your job, huh? It's through questions like these that we have come to realize that you want more. I'm Bodine. And I'm Darby, and we are here to serve up the Coffee Talk version of everything you need to know about the science, laws, and people behind the yellow tape. Welcome to the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Coffee with a Criminalist. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee with a Criminalist. Today we are coming at you from the Community Relations Office within the Sheriff's Office and they have a sound recording room which is really nice so it's we're out of the basement today. Yeah and today we're being fueled by Lighthouse Coffee and today I'm drinking an iced, I'm a really big fan of iced coffee if you guys We'll figure that out over the course of this podcast, but um, I'm drinking an iced soy almond latte. Darby's also really fancy. Hers has more words in there. Or <laughs> <laughs> just like really complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I am drinking a pumpkin chai latte and Lighthouse Coffee's pumpkin chai latte is my favorite in town. You can get it all year long, actually, but I like it seasonally in the fall. And I like it so much because they use real pumpkin in it, which is delicious and makes it really frothy. I know you've mentioned this to me a couple times, and I immediately went and tried one as well, and they are delicious. Take it from us. Get in there and try one. They also have really good goodies, and they do gluten-free, which is really important for my diet, and I love their raspberry walnut crumble muffin. Their quiche is also really good, so if you guys ever find yourself out in the Sparks area, either on Vista or near the marina, stop in and have a cup of coffee and some goodies. Yeah, tell them that you heard about them from us. It'll be cool. Yes, please do. (laughs) Uh, So you guys, today on our episode, we're going to do a little bit of introduction about the Washoe County Sheriff's Office Forensic Science Division, which is what most people would call a crime lab, and kind of where we fall within um, the Washoe County Sheriff's Office, some of the services that we provide, and um, just kind of how we fit in in Northern Nevada, essentially. Yeah, and one of the things that I found super interesting in doing a little bit of research for this podcast was that as of 2016, there are only 409 publicly funded crime labs in the United States. Which is crazy because that's not very many. No, when you think about the United States as a whole, like 409 to service, you know, the entire nation nation is a little bit crazy. Also, they staff over just over 14,000 full-time employees, and by this I mean, that's not just analysts performing the, like, testing and stuff. This is the people who are, you know, the operations, the front office staff, the finance people, the managers that are, you know, to keep the labs running. So I thought that was really interesting that that few of people are doing all of this testing in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. It might be why a lot of people have never met a forensic scientist or someone who works at a crime lab. Right, yeah. Um, And I also found it interesting that only, well, not only, but 38% of all public labs were using outsourcing in some way or another. Yeah, which means if you think about it, if 38% of the 409 public labs are having to outsource, means that they have a really high demand for their services and they can't keep up with it, essentially. So they're having to outsource to... um, Private, private labs. Private labs. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. work out there. So on today's episode, you guys are going to get to hear from uh, two people that run the show here at the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. First up, we have Washoe County Sheriff Darren Balaam. 
Welcome, Sheriff Balaam. Thank you so much for joining our podcast this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I'm really excited for our viewers to not only get to learn about um, forensic science, but also a little bit about you, like the man behind the badge. So first and foremost, where are you from? So I'm born and raised in Sparks. Um, so I've been here all my life. Uh, and one of the, the proud things is I'm a sixth generation Nevada. So all my family's been here for a very long time. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about your background, like how long you've been in the sheriff and like your law enforcement background before you became a sheriff? Absolutely. So I started here actually in 1993 as a civilian. Darby, so, were you alive then? I was one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making me feel old. Uh, but I started as a civilian back in the back in property. Uh, and I was only 20, so I wasn't uh, eligible to be a deputy sheriff yet. And then I went into central control. And then when I turned 21, we actually had our own academy here, which is now one of our housing units. Um, so I put myself through that. And then when I turned 21, tested, and it was right as Sheriff Clerkin uh, was elected. So I was hired uh, one of 95 when he took office. And then over the next 20 plus years, um, I worked my way through the sheriff's office, uh, walked away uh, from the sheriff's office for four years, and then was um, honored and very grateful to be able to come back as sheriff for the last two years and then hopefully uh, many more to come. Yeah, so you really have been through everything here, huh? I have, you know, <laughs> I, I, had, a, I w had the great opportunity throughout my career to move through, you know, the sheriff's office has three bureaus, operations, uh, detention, and administration. So I worked in all three as I moved around through my career. So I really got to enjoy everything that the sheriff's office uh, provides and the services we provide to our community and learn about how we do that. Do you think that helps you be a better leader knowing how all the parts and pieces kind of move together? You know, I, I think it truly does because we have so many moving parts. I think the community doesn't realize how much the sheriff's office does and the responsibilities, but I think it also helped me uh, from the civilian side because we have over 318 civilians. So um, we have a large staff of commission, but we have a very large staff of civilians. So learning that and starting there as well gave me the opportunity to look from both sides as I move forward and working with the employees at this office and the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you kind of already touched on it a little bit, but how is the Sheriff's Office organized and where does the Crime Lab fall within that organization? So the Sheriff's Office has three bureaus. Uh, so you have kind of the Sheriff, an under Sheriff, and then three Deputy Chiefs. Uh, each Deputy Chief is over one of those bureaus. So we have detention, and within detention, you have our detention, our regional detention facility, but we also have all the courts. So Sparks Justice, Sparks Community, Reno Justice, Reno Community District Court. So they're responsible for all the inmate transportation to and from those courts um, and all of our outside work crews. So they have, or sorry, our inside work crews. Then you have operations and that is uh, patrol, but then we also have all of our special teams within operations. So. You have our SWAT team, you have our Raven helicopter, our canines, our detectives, our intelligence center, all of our regional teams, um, and anything basically outside of the detention facility besides courts is all in operations. Uh, and then you have administration, and that's all of our administrative, so it's our training center, our academy, um, dispatch, and then that is where the crime lab falls under. Uh, so you have the forensic science division within administration, you have our records, our CCW, uh, our civil section uh, so that is all broken up into our administrative section so those are the three bureaus uh, within and then within the bureaus you have divisions and then units and it goes down and it can get very confusing but it's uh, a very complex but i think it's a very uh, organized 
uh, office. Awesome. And I think something that people don't realize is that um, the crime lab is what's called non-mandated. It's a non-mandated portion of the sheriff's office. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit what that means? Absolutely. So uh, within Nevada revised statute, NRS, uh, there's five mandates of all 17 sheriffs in each of the 17 counties. So a mandate is we have to provide a detention facility. So we have the regional facility for all the Washoe. We have to provide uh, civil, where we serve civil uh, orders. We have to provide bailiffs in district court, except for Clark County, after uh, your population reached 750,000. That's um, on the courts. We have to have a search and rescue. And then we have to keep the peace and quell all rights. And that's where our patrol operations side. So unfunded mandates are, or uh, not unfunded, un, um, non-mandates are things that aren't required by NRS, but our crime lab is something well over 30 years ago. Uh, we created, we consolidated, and the sheriff's office took the lead in creating this lab because we knew uh, the forensic science division, back then we called it the crime lab, and now you know it's evolved to so much more than just tool marks and firearms. Now we have DNA, we have toxicology, we have evidence, and it is a huge portion of what the sheriff's office does, and they provide so many services that, again, I'm glad you guys are doing this because I don't think the community realizes what the Forensic Science Division does, although it may not be mandated by law that the sheriff's office does. There's only two, three crime labs in the state. Uh, Las Vegas Metro has uh, the largest. We have the second largest, and then there's another smaller one that just does a very small portion down in uh, southern Nevada in Henderson. But we provide, and I know you're going to get into it later, a lot of service for, for all the rural counties that don't have the opportunity to do toxicology, DNA, fingerprints, firearms. So uh, the lab does a lot that helps not only our community and keeping it safe, uh, but helps investigators, helps patrol. So they provide so many services that I think our community does, doesn't know about. And then can you touch a little bit on about how like the staff in the Forensic Science Division is paid versus the testing and how that's paid for? So absolutely. So I kind of touched on a little bit. So all of the employees within the Forensic Science Division um, are county employees. So they're Washington County Sheriff's Office employees. But within the Forensic Science Division, because we're the only one up north, there's contracts that we contract with because it's not a mandate that we have to provide a service to uh, our community. But we've chose to over the last 30 years to do that and evolve and, and um, go where we're at now. So we contract with over 56 state and federal agencies in Northern Nevada and two in uh, Northern California because there isn't a state lab and there isn't a lab close enough. So what happens is, is uh, the lab looks at the services for any agency in Northern Nevada or Northern California uh, that would like our services um, and they then contract with us. We look at the, how much use they have uh, for the lab and then we average it out over a three year period and then every year we send them a contract and they sign up for either uh, one of two ways. They can sign up for basically the full service, which you get everything in the crime lab or just the crime lab itself. Um, and then the forensic, what you see on like CSI out there in the scene, they can provide that and we will just do some of the internal stuff here. Um, and so we contract with a lot of agencies. And so, you know, some of our um, easterly counties, Elko and all them, when they have a major crime, uh, unfortunate homicide, or a tragic event where they need the specialty of the Forensic Science Division, it is our personnel at the Sheriff's Office, but they, at that time, are serving Elko PD, Elko Sheriff's Office, and so that evidence they collect and then bring back to the lab, um, 
they're uh, working for the sheriff's office, but they are working and providing that service and unbiased for Elko County and letting the evidence, and that's something we've talked about, you know, they're not influenced by law enforcement. They're influenced down there, as you know, by what the evidence says. Yeah, I think that's a really important part that a lot of people have a misunderstanding that because we're attached to the sheriff's office, they think that we work for law enforcement and that leads some sort of bias in our testing, but really it's, we're a third party. We're just on the other end of the contract and um, really the law enforcement agencies are more like our customers and mm -hmm. we're providing a service, service for them. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and then, um, You'll see on all these shows, like CSI and stuff, how these people, they have like badges and guns and they go to the crime scene and they're like asked, talking to victims and stuff like that. And we used to have some commissioned personnel down in our laboratory, but we're strictly civilian based now. Can you talk to us a little bit about that shift from having some sworn deputies down there to now just being strictly civilian? So one of the things we looked at back then and we learned was, you know, deputy sheriffs, we train them. And I think the community sees them as they're armed, uh, deputy sheriffs and they're out there to go to calls for service, deal with uh, calls that may be what we call hot calls, priority calls where somebody may be armed. Uh, where on the forensic side, when you're there, most of the time the scene should be secure. secure. So you're collecting evidence. And so what we looked at was, why not take the specialties of all the training we've put into the deputy sheriffs instead of putting them down the forensic science division, which is a lot of training in and of itself, and allowing those deputy sheriffs to go back to the line beyond patrol or, or in detention or somewhere else where that training from the start of their career is. And then with the civilian staff, um, I believe it's six months just for the forensic, you know, where they respond out like the CSI training, we can continue to involve. And then when we had deputy sheriffs there, they rotated out. Mm -hmm. So we put all this training into our personnel besides all the other training of becoming a deputy sheriff. And then a few years later, they rotate out. And now we got to dump all this money back into training when we rotated to the civilian staff. We could put those armed deputy sheriffs responding to the hot calls and dealing with those type of scenes and securing the scene. And if it's a major event, then we brought in the civilian staff. And now we continue not only to do that initial training, but we can make them even more specialized, more experienced, because now they're going to be there a much longer time. And they'll have that expertise of 10, 15, 20, 30 years of service versus a deputy sheriff that may have six months of training, be there for two to three years, and then we rotate them out. So that's why we rotated out. Um, and so we took those deputy sheriffs, moved them back to what people typically would envision as a deputy sheriff responding in a patrol car. And we civilianized the crime lab so that one, we can continue to build on the crime lab and the civilian side. They're gonna be there a lot longer. So as we dump a lot of training into them, we can continue to build their expertise. And that just brings a credibility. And it shows when they go to court, when they're going out into the other communities where they're training, because you guys go out and you'll do a lot of training you know, at the national level. You guys have that expertise because you've been there a long time versus a deputy sheriff who has not. Yeah, that is one thing that I, am, I think our listeners probably don't realize is just how much time, money, effort is put into training a forensic scientist in any of our sections, really. Yeah, like, it's it, a lot. It depends on the section, but yeah, I mean, some training six months to a year before oh, yeah. you ever start contributing to casework. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really, you know, um, it's a lot of training, right? <laughs> it's very detailed, it, it's yes. uh, time consuming, it can be um, overwhelming at times, Yeah. Um, but it's needed. And mm -hmm. then once you're done, again, we can continue to build on that and that then reputation and experience moves forward. And I think that's why our lab is so well known and has such a great reputation is because of that experience. And when you go to court, 
the both sides, the fence, the prosecution, and the courts, the judges, they all know that and they mm -hmm. recognize that. Absolutely. Um, what does it mean to you to have a crime lab within your organization? You know, I'm extremely proud of it because that's one of the areas we get to go out and we get to, um, you know, we've been recognized nationally and certified for so many years. We get to brag about, you know, that we are one of the top crime labs or forensic science divisions in the nation. Uh, and that means a lot because then people are looking for us for those services because they know that we have the capabilities uh, to help bring um, help detectives or communities when a major event has happened a crimes happened we can come to their aid and helping them solve that and, and again help the victims as they uh, try to heal from whatever traumatic event because we solved that crime I mean again last year I think or two years ago uh, before um, when we solved out of the DNA the Sullivan case uh, we were able to get a lead and now that case is still going through court so you know they're innocent to proven guilty but because of the lab and that expertise and us being able to have it here in the sheriff's office it is so awesome to go around and tell the community and tell other agencies well yeah we have those services if you need them again you can we contract or yeah. if you need a class we, we I have the expertise within the office downstairs in the forensic science division to come and give you that training so for me it's a, it's an extreme honor to go out and be able to say yeah I have this forensic science division and not only do I have one, but they're certified at a national level and recognized at a national level. And so many are recognized as individual expertise or subject matter experts that other agencies, other states are calling them to either have them go train, have them help build their own crime lab. So that tells you you're doing something right and we have a great lab here. Well, it's an honor to be part of it. So yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've been a big supporter of our podcast from the very beginning. So we were just curious as to like what made you really like this idea and really like get behind it. You know, I, I would say uh, one is um, I like CSI. Right? <laughs> Although I recognize we don't solve crimes in 45 minutes. Yes. Right. <laughs> but talking to everybody else and it was such a popular show, right? It evolved around the crime scene element. And so many people, when you go talk to them about uh, forensic science we've already had on numerous times they don't understand but they're very curious and so when you guys propose this idea of a podcast what a great opportunity again to highlight the crime lab show our community what expertise but more importantly educate and for me it was one of those things of not only the education part but hopefully we know there's a lot of youth out there that may hopefully listen to this and you're going to um, give them that spark that says, okay, I want to go into science because that's what I want to be when I grow up. Um, and so hopefully not only are we going to educate, but we're going to motivate and you guys will be the uh, igniter of igniting some of our youth as we move forward of, of going into this profession. So that's why when you threw this, I was like, this is the perfect way of one, maybe combating the perception of the CSI that we solve major crimes in 55 minutes um, or we get DNA results, you know, like that. Uh, but also to highlight the lab and to educate and show off what everything that you guys do down there and allow the community to really engage you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a big thing for us too was um, kind of the education piece. And we have found that there's just so many misconceptions about mm -hmm. forensics in general and about um, being a forensic scientist. And so we, out of curiosity, were wondering, did you have any misconceptions about forensics before you became sheriff? I would say not before because I at least had some interactions, you know, before, but before I became a deputy sheriff and learned more about forensics, 
Um, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, some of it you think, oh, uh, misconceptions, you, you can pull fingerprints off of everything, which we know is not true. Or we can match everything. Or, again, watching some of the crime shows of how they, they give that false uh, perception that, well, you can get DNA off of everything. And, and we're fighting that. You see that when you testify. Um, and our detectives see it is people think, well, where's the DNA? Right? Mm -hmm. DNA is a big thing. So even if you have a confession and you have all this other evidence against an individual that proves or shows that they did the crime, people, because of the forensic science division and that perception are, well, where's the DNA or where's that forensic evidence? We need that. Um, and so I had some of those misconceptions before getting down there and actually learning what everything did. And, and for me, I would say, because when I started, we didn't have DNA and watching that evolve, um, and what it's doing and where we're going with that and everything else, it, it's been fun to watch that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know you come down and you, you'll talk to us and you're down in the lab quite often actually. So have you learned anything particularly that you found like super interesting from hanging out with us down there, learning, talking to any of us? You know, I've, I, I've loved to learn how, um, how the, the tox part works. Again, because as a deputy sheriff, when I would either do breath tests or blood draws, right? We just put it in the fridge or I'd get the printout. And I didn't realize everything that went in down downstairs and how, um, with all the machines, how you guys run those tests, how will you, um, I'm gonna get the wording right or wrong, verify. So yes. like on the DNA side, how you may get the um, initial stuff and then somebody else has to uh, double check it and verify. And learning about all of that stuff um, of how and the um, the new system we got downstairs on the forensic side, um, FIS side outside of the uh, Ly uh, Lycra. Lycra scanner. Lycra scanner. We just See? did a training on that. Isn't that wild? It is amazing watching that, you know, how you can stand there with a the pole where, again, we used to have to call our major accident investigation team, mate team, uh, and they would come out and it'd take them hours. And now with that machine, you guys can go out, stand it there, and watching that 3D. Again, the technology, learning of how you guys do what you do. Um, it's exciting, but it, it's mind-blowing. And then, again, the advances of where the lab's going when all this goes and our nibins and our firearms and, and how we're able to examine. And that's been exciting to watch um, and encouraging. Again, from the deputy's perspective, I go to a shots-fired call, and typically if no one was around or you know it wasn't apparent that something happened, we'd clear it 10-8. But now we've realized, well, the lab has the capability. Let me look around, and if I see a shell casing, let me get that down to the lab, let them examine it, and then all of a sudden now we're starting to see, um, with partnerships with the FBI, some of those firearms being linked to other crimes, and then all of a sudden later on we may confiscate that firearm, and now for the deputy side it's been awesome to watch how the lab does that, and that information being shared is solving crimes all around, not only our, our city and county, but multiple states now. Yeah. Well. Sheriff, we want to thank you so much for um, helping our listeners learn a little bit more about the crime lab and about where we sit in the sheriff's office. But um, we also want to see who you are like outside of being sheriff. So uh, what are some of your hobbies? Like, what do you do outside of here? So uh, I have four kids. And so my wife and I uh, love to try to do, we have twins. So trying to manage them and now they're in college, but doing a lot of family stuff. So we love to camp. Um, or love to be outdoors as much. And unfortunately this last year with the pandemic, that's kind of been rough, mm -hmm. I think on all of us. Um, I like to do, you know, skiing, water skiing, snow skiing, um, 
hiking, hunting. Um, but as of December 26th, we now are grandparents. So oh, one of the newest hobbies I'm going to be is a grandpa or pops as, uh, as uh, I, I'm hoping our granddaughter will call me. So um, those are the things of just trying to, uh, outside of here, enjoy family. Yeah. Uh, and enjoying our community, you know, the, and getting outdoors and, and now again being a grandpa will be the next special thing. It'll be payback for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's a huge, well, like, life That's milestone. Awesome. And yeah. Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to let Darby kick this off a okay. little bit. We are going to do what's called a lightning round for every one of our interviewees. Okay. And um, you have never seen these questions before, and they're going to be a rapid fire. Okay? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, Darby, why don't you start yeah. on? So, our first question is, what do you believe is the biggest challenge for law enforcement that they're facing today? I believe it's building the trust with the community after uh, George Floyd event and everything that's gone on to truly... Uh, strengthen the trust or partnership and that transparency and to reaffirm with all of the communities people of color minority communities that truly work out there working with them to keep our community as a whole safe I think that's the biggest challenge absolutely um, okay do you take your work home with you I do yeah I do <laughs> I, I, I try not to um, with technology and cell phones, I'm always uh, checking my email or I'll bring things home. Um, but I have learned over the first two years of being sheriff, you know, I do have to take some time uh, to set that aside and make sure I focus on the family. But, yeah, I, I, I do take it home, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So um, how has your job changed your life outside of work? Uh, you know, it's changed because um, now you're always watching a, a cell phone. Uh, for those calls so you're always technically on call um, but also it's changed it because being sheriff uh, and being out there people recognize you more so they may want to come up and so again back to that family you know you go out when we can go out to uh, dinners or something and you may be wanting to focus on you know the family time but people may come up because either you know them or you work with them or they see you and they just want to say something or they may have a, a gripe so it's kind of changed a little bit where um, you're more known and so people are mostly genuine they just want to come and say hey thank you you're doing a good job um, but you always have to kind of be aware and that's how it's kind of changed on the outside of the personal so if you want that downtime you oftentimes have to leave uh, you know the town to do that but I also enjoy it because for me in this position um, that's kind of a, a barometer I use so because um, people will come up and they'll tell you when something's gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you all of the great work, and it's not me, it's, it's the members of this office have done over the last two years. I have more positive. And so for me, it's, it's changed. And yes, it may affect me on my personal and family time, but also it makes me proud because they want to share and they're like, hey, I, I just want, you know, I had a, a run-in with a deputy or I had something and I came up and they were so professional or, and so for me, it's, it's a problem to say, yeah, our, our team is doing awesome. All right, last question. Um, this is our favorite question, by the way. Okay. What makes you smile every day at work? You know, uh, what makes me smile? I would say when I get to come in and see uh, the employees and, and whether it's um, making a appropriate workplace uh, joke or, or laughing and, and just seeing everybody have fun at what they're doing. Whether that's the passion of down the crime lab, watching them as they're, 
you know, doing whatever test they're doing, you can see it. And for me, that's a smile because we should all love what we do. And I think uh, law enforcement, although, uh, you know, the last while it's been tough, it's a great profession and it's so rewarding. And when um, you go in and you see employees love what they're doing and you can walk around and laugh with them, that for me is absolutely what brings a smile to my face because again, that tells us and it tells me personally, we're doing the right things. Although we're in a pandemic and it's very stressful and we know uh, deep down it's, it's stressful on everybody, personally, professionally, no matter where you're at. But when you can come to work and you see they're, they're diving into whatever they're assigned to do, whether it's in records, whether it's uh, civil processing, whether it's down in the detention facility, doesn't matter where, but you can see they're putting their heart and soul into that. For me, that, that makes me smile. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. We really appreciate it, and we're so happy that you got to sit down with us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I am so excited to watch as this podcast grows. So thank you for the idea, and I wish you the guys the best of luck. Thank you so thank much. You. And now we'll be hearing from the Washoe County Sheriff's Office Forensic Science Division Laboratory Director, Carrie Heward. Well, hi, Carrie. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're really, really glad that you were able to come on and chat with us today. Um, so I guess we can just kick this off with, uh, where are you from? I was actually born in a small town in northern New Hampshire called Lancaster. And from there I moved to California when I was in second grade and have lived there until I moved to Nevada about 13 and a half years ago. Oh wow, I actually didn't know that you were from there. I didn't either. <laughs> um, now going into your background, how long and in what specialty were you in in the field of forensics? I actually got into forensics because my husband saw an ad in the paper. That's how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> I was doing research at the University of California, Riverside, and I worked in the entomology department doing biological control research. So I did um, protein research, which was uh, the predecessor to what we do now in DNA. And I started as a lab tech in the forensic lab in San Bernardino, California. I went to school in Riverside, so San Bernardino is the neighbor sister city there. And I had the opportunity to start out in um, what was the predecessor to DNA um, because I had the experience at the university. And from there, I worked in many, many areas of the laboratory. Uh, it was, at that time, the way that you promoted. So I worked uh, next in the, the controlled substance section. I did clan lab analysis and clan lab investigation. I did toxicology. I did shoe and tire impressions. I worked most of my career in firearms. I was a quality manager, I was a supervisor, and now I'm the lab director. Wow. Um, how long have you been lab director here? For about five and a half years. And what are your duties as a lab director? What I'd like to say my duties are is I do whatever it takes to get the resources so that everybody else can do the work. So a lot of my uh, time is spent um, working with the DA's office, working with agencies, most recently working with legislation, uh, working with different people in different areas in the county to get us what, uh, what we need to do our job. And uh, who all do we provide services to? So Nevada is a really interesting state in that it doesn't have a state crime lab, and it's the only state that doesn't. The next closest is Hawaii, who only does controlled substances at their state lab. 
So we provide service for two thirds of the state of Nevada. So 13 of 17 counties in central and northern Nevada. And we also have a contract with Mono County, California. Oh, wow. And those counties that we don't provide services to, who provides services to them? There's one other full service laboratory in Nevada and that's Las Vegas Metro's lab. And so they provide service to uh, their own agencies plus the four southern counties. There is also a police department, Henderson Police Department, which has uh, a limited service uh, forensic lab, but it is uh, the next biggest of in the state. Okay. And um, about how many requests for service do, does the Washoe County Sheriff's Office Crime Lab get a year? Well, we have um, some statistics that we pulled for that, and uh, we count our statistics uh, individually by section. But for the, the past year in 2020, if we add all of those submissions together, we have almost 3,000, and that does not count our uh, toxicology section, which takes in over 4,000 samples a year. They do over 4,000 tests. So we do um, blood alcohol testing. Um, we had uh, just over 200 cases last year in that. Biology had 808 uh, cases, that submissions that came in. Controlled substance, 434. Firearms had 724. Our crime scene section, which we call the forensic investigation section, or FIS, is, had 340. Latent print comparisons did 151 comparisons. Latent print processing um, did 139 cases. And uh, we have a photo lab section that is part of our crime scene, and they uh, did 76 cases. Well, that's a lot of work you guys are putting out every year. Yes, and every year it's always a, a, a little more. Yeah, <laughs> as we grow, I bet it actually goes up. It, it does. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's that old adage, if, if you do a good job, you get more work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you touched a little bit about on our sections and what they are, but how many employees do we have down in the crime lab? If we count all of our office staff, volunteers, interns, we have about 50 people. So we have 50 people doing all of that work? For 13 counties in Nevada plus one in California, yes. I actually might not like to toot our own horn, but I think that's actually pretty impressive yeah. when you break it down like that. <laughs> um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about accreditation? What What is accreditation? So accreditation is a set of standards that um, laboratories that, that apply to, to be accredited, they uh, must adhere to those standards. And it covers everything from... Um, the procedures to training to our quality control systems, um, proficiency testing that we do to remain competent in the areas that we do. It's, it's all-encompassing. It even um, encompasses the security of the buildings that we are in. So we're accredited to a standard called 17025, which is not specific to forensics. So there's an additional standard through our accrediting body, which is ANAB, that is specific to forensics. So between those two set of standards that are all, those comprise all of the, the standards that we meet and therefore have obtained accreditation. And we know you have some involvement in ANAB as well. Can you tell us uh, how you're involved in that outside of our lab? Absolutely. Uh, many years ago, started in early 2000, I became uh, an assessor, a technical assessor for what was then called ASCLAD Lab. And that has then since joined with uh, a larger accrediting body, ANAB. So they're the fourth largest um, accrediting body in the Western Hemisphere. So they accredit 
far more than forensics. But I work in their forensics program. So I went from becoming a technical assessor. About six years ago, I became a lead assessor. So I lead teams that do assessments uh, at different forensic labs all over the world. And I've had some really amazing opportunities to see labs in other countries. So it's just been a, an amazing opportunity. And maybe when I retire from my lab director job, I will continue to do uh, that job because I really love to travel and somebody else is paying for it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, where was your favorite place <laughs> that you've been doing that? You know what? It's hard to say what my favorite place is. Um, where I was when COVID hit was New Zealand, and that was amazing. Um, so I've been I've been to New Zealand to assess their laboratory. I've been to Algeria, which was really oh, wow. quite an amazing place. Um, I've been to uh, Malaysia. Um, most of the other sites that I've been to have been within the United States, and those have all been amazing as well. But uh, it's uh, it's a rather small forensic community, and uh, when you see your counterparts all over the world, and you know how really similar we are, mm -hmm. and uh, in the work that we do, uh, it's it's just a uh, it's been a great experience. I bet. And kind good. of touching on COVID a little bit on that question, um, has it impacted your ability to do assessments this year? Yes, it has in, in some regards. So it's limited the ability to travel. Mm -hmm. um, we have still been doing assessments because laboratories still need to, need to be able to maintain their accreditation, but we have been doing them remotely through oh. the use of things like Zoom and Teams and uh, being creative. Uh, some of the, the laboratories have employed GoPro cameras oh, wow. <laughs> in order for us to be able to view what they're doing. So people have been very creative, but yes, that uh, assessment activities still uh, have taken place. And it's sometimes difficult when you're doing assessment activities for a laboratory that's on the other side of the world and might yeah. be, you know, 16 hours different from Absolutely. your time zone. <laughs> Um, something that's been in the news a lot lately, uh, not just in the state of Nevada, but kind of across the nation, is this idea of backlogs in um, crime laboratories. Uh, is this a problem for us as well as other labs? And, and what is a backlog? A backlog are cases that you have in your system that aren't completed yet. And some people count backlogs in, in different types of ways. For instance, we have uh, mandates that have to do with sexual assault kits. And the mandate is that we complete the testing of that sexual assault kit in 120 days from the day that it's submitted to us. Um, so anything more than 120 days in that cycle would be considered a backlog. But I have to say that this year has been just a real silver lining for us. We have eliminated backlogs in every area of the laboratory. And wow. we have, we are currently working at a, with a turnaround time of 65 days in the biology section, which is one of the, the areas that where we had experienced the largest number of cases and had a, a significant backlog. So if you submit a case to us today, you would on average expect that case to be done and have a, re a report in hand in 65 days. That is fantastic about the elimination of your guys' backlogs, congrats. Um, was there any role that outsourcing played in that for you guys to get rid of those backlogs? Absolutely, outsourcing was one of the key components in eliminating the backlog. So we used uh, private laboratories and we outsourced uh, old cases to those laboratories so that we could focus on the stuff that was coming in the door at the time. But it was coupled with the advent of new technology that became available to us that allowed us to increase our capacity, increase the number of 
samples that we were testing at a time. We also increased our staff in the DNA section because that is the fast and grow fastest growing area in the laboratory. We're up to 16 people in the DNA section of our laboratory. And uh, so it was a, a process that involved the outsourcing, it involved new analysts, it involved new equipment, and it involved a whole new process of doing things. So. Uh, the the process now is kind of likens itself to an assembly line mm -hmm. where everybody is involved in in the process and uh, we are able to realize a much greater capacity I, I believe that our uh, case output has more than doubled with all of these additions to the process so. Mm -hmm. so as far as like having backlogs and using outsource to eliminate those that's not unique to our, our laboratory right no, especially with sexual assault kits, the private laboratories have become a key part and have become quite inundated with, with cases across the U.S. helping all of the uh, laboratories uh, handle those, those backlogs of sexual assault kits. And it's not just uh, kits that are recent, but we have the ability to go back and look at kits that were taken before DNA was even a part of the forensic laboratory. Mm -hmm. And then um, with that, how has your lab been impacted and dealt with COVID? Has it had a negative impact or? You know, you might think it had a negative impact and it certainly has not uh, been, I would say, a fun year, but <laughs> in any way. <laughs> and it's been a very stressful year for everybody um, and certainly has created a, a new way of thinking about things. And um, I think we, came into this with very open minds as a whole team in the laboratory. And we have realized some silver linings in this, and one being the elimination of the backlogs. But I wanted to be able to offer to the employees a way that they could still meet these changing needs that now were thrust upon them with schooling for children and, and other things, um, and still be able to, to realize a, you know, a full week worth of, of work. So we had just opened the door and allowed um, our employees to work any day of the week, seven days a week, any hour of the day um, that would meet their needs and we would still be able to um, get a, a full week's worth of, of work out of everybody. We did employ some work at home, but clearly you can't do laboratory work right. at home. Um, in your kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not accredited, right? <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, everybody um, just got on board. Everybody made it work. Um, people were, were extremely flexible across every area of the laboratory. And we re uh, it resulted in, you know, the silver lining of being able to accomplish more work, eliminate backlogs. And part of that was um, due also to courts weren't in session. So that mm -hmm. allowed us to really focus on that. But that kind of silver lining has not been realized by other laboratories across the U.S. So when I sit in meetings with my counterparts, you know, across the U.S. and across the world, um, this is kind of unique. I haven't talked to any one person who has had the success that we have. Wow, that is awesome. Congrats, Congrats to you guys. I guess us. We're part of that. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? This? It, you know, teamwork <laughs> makes the dream work, yeah, right? for sure. Um, what do you feel has been your biggest accomplishment as the lab director thus far? You know, that's hard to just say one thing, um, but my goal is to always be looking at our operations and make things uh, 
better quality, more efficient, um, and just just work better. Uh, so I would say all the things that are part of that and all the, the people that play a role in that is to, to make us better. I mean, some of the things that we've done this year have made us internationally recognized. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, a, a nice feather in the cap to the team. And we've talked a lot about the crime lab, but who are you outside of the lab <laughs> and not as a lab director? <laughs> You know, I, I really like to be busy, so I obviously, uh, be besides the director job, I also am a lead assessor for ANAB, which is our accrediting body, and that gives me the opportunity to travel. But my family is located all over the country, and so I, I do like to travel and spend time with my family, and we like to do outdoor activities like ride snowmobiles and ride quads, and, and I like to travel with my, my husband. All my, my children are grown, and they... Uh, all live in, in different places, so I like to travel and spend time with them as well. I like to, to hike. I don't find as much time to do that as I would like to. Mm -hmm. I, I like to swim, but I couldn't tell you the last time I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like to be outside. And, and part of that is that uh, our laboratory is in a basement and we have mm -hmm. no windows. Yes, yes <laughs> I talk can. about that all the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, what do you think is the biggest misunderstanding about forensics? I think that um, although I love the CSI shows, I think that it creates a, a misinformation uh, about how quickly we can do work and how much of the work that we do. We are all pretty specialized in our area and it, it's become necessary uh, to, to be that way because the technology changes and we need to be able to keep up with that technology, especially in DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we aren't the same people going out and investigating the crime and interviewing suspects and doing the lab work. Uh, we do the lab work and we testify in court, which is really, um, you know, that culminates in what's really important is to be able to speak on behalf of the evidence that we analyze. Mm -hmm. You've been super supportive of this podcast idea from the very beginning. So what made you think it was such a great idea? Well, truly, it's your enthusiasm that <laughs> <laughs> the two of you have just been so enthusiastic. It's contagious, and it just makes everybody want to be a part of it. And I am, you know, the older generation than you, and I, I really wasn't into podcasts before, before uh, hearing about this. Um, so it's a new thing for me, but I love it when staff is involved in things that make them happy, and I can see just by the looks on your face that you really love doing this and you love sharing this information. So it's it's really you and your enthusiasm. That, oh, um, well, thanks. Cool to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so you have made it to what we like to call the lightning round, Carrie. Uh, this is a fun part of every interview that we do. We have three questions that are the same for everyone and one thought-provoking question. So here we go with our lightning round. Um, when I think about forensics, I think that forensics is a really good example of the quote, when you know better, go ahead and do better. Um, and over the years, you've been involved with forensics for quite a long time, um, and you've likely seen these massive shifts towards doing better. So when you think back or are questioned about these older cases years ago, how do you answer for the way that things are being done now versus the way you did them then? Well, that's really interesting because I have gone back on cold cases that I have done early in my career, and uh, I, I do look at what I've learned in, in the number of years, almost 30 that I've been in the, in the profession. And uh, 
I would have changed the amount of information and the detail of information that I was recording at the time for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a big believer in, you know, to, to improve yourself and to be better, it's painful. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it you know, it, there's if no no pain, no gain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you take your work home with you? I literally do. <laughs> literally, figuratively, either way. I, I pack up my, my laptop and I take it home with me. And uh, it just, work doesn't stop. And for instance, I was um, talking with the lab director at the Las Vegas lab last night over, over legislative things as I... Uh, finished my dinner so it, it just doesn't end mm-hmm. <laughs> and um what has changed what has this job changed for you outside of work yeah, that's a really tough question that is thought-provoking i'm thinking that's my thought-provoking <laughs> question right <laughs> you know it it really does um give me pause about how how I appear outside of work mm-hmm. um, and and you really you don't have a work persona and a home persona it really is all the same and and you've got to walk the walk and talk the talk and so I'm aware of um, you know the, the fact that people see my name they see my title um, and now because of my involvement in A&AB that is all over the world that, mm-hmm. that um, I have uh, counterparts so it, it does um, make me realize the importance of you know being a role model in that way mm-hmm. absolutely and then our final and favorite question what makes you smile every day at work <laughs> you know what my favorite part of the job is the working with individuals like you and the, the mentoring capacity so uh, that's what makes me smile is um just having somebody say something you know that that just makes me makes me laugh makes me smile that something they love about their job or um yeah just even just being so lighthearted and having a joke it's uh, that's the part i love well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being willing to sit down and and chat with us today yeah we really appreciate it thanks for the invite wash us one I'm Sheriff Darren Balam. Thank you for listening to another episode of Washoe County Sheriff's Office Copy with a Criminalist. This podcast is one more way our office is striving to build trust and partnerships within the community that we serve. To learn more about our office, please visit us on the web at washoesheriff.com. If you'd like to further support this project, click subscribe and be sure to tune in for our next episode to learn even more about forensics. Until next time, folks. Washoe, this is S1. I'll be 1042. Have a good night.